You know, there's a time in our lives when we notice we're in transition. We notice we're in transition because it hurts. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. And since biologically we are designed to resist, avoid pain, discomfort, there's a tendency to want to skip over the transitional stage or speed it up. And yet, this transformative stage is the most important part of what was and what will be. If you do not take advantage of the in-between, the stuckness, the transformation, the change, the after may not be as productive, comfortable, pleasant as it could be. So I was reminded about this earlier today when I was thinking about divorce and how common separation and divorce is and how difficult it is for us adults to manage that. Mostly because many of us come from either a childhood where divorce occurred and it was it did it came, it became our story and at other times because our we may have wished our parents would divorce to stop the trauma and the drama and if you're not one of those people Not only are you blessed, you have some karmic credit, but I'm sure your story lies somewhere else. So with this divorce, I was thinking for our children, I don't think we can make the transition easy. I don't think we should make the transition easy. In fact, much of the pain is enhanced because we're trying to force a transitional time to be less painful. And when we're doing that, we're discounting the meaning and the importance of it. And so what if we entered into a separation or a divorce with the idea that This can be a very powerful healing component for all of us or for all of them. And that this could be an avenue to get to the other side. Landing on all four paws, so to speak. And what I mean by this is the struggle to avoid 
that transitional pain creates more pain. And so what if you assured your children that this is something that is going to happen, but we will all be more than okay when we get to the other side. And that the most important thing is for all of us to discuss our pain, our thoughts, our anguish, our frustration, our anger, our wants, our desires, what has been taken away. Because that's what we avoid. You see, if a child comes to you and says, what are you doing? You're breaking up the family. You're a horrible mother. Mother. You're a horrible father. It's your fault. It's your fault. Or maybe it's my fault. Instead of saying, no, sweetie, it's not your fault. No, honey, it's not daddy's fault. No, mommy's not. it's not mommy's fault either. Allow her to be in that place of trying to navigate what is happening. And instead of trying to make that feeling of despair and blame disappear, ask her or him, <laughs> where do you feel, where do you feel the fault lies? Why do you feel it's mommy's fault? Well, because you always told daddy that, that he didn't, like his work and he always came home unhappy well you're right I did I did do that well that made daddy very sad it probably did you're correct well why did you have to tell him that well because I didn't like to see daddy unhappy and I didn't like him to bring his unhappiness home and I and I knew it was because of his job. And I thought he could change his job. He'd be happier. Well, well then, well then he should have changed his job. Well, he could have, but it wasn't that easy. Why not? Well, because he wanted, he wanted to have the money to pay our, to pay our mortgage. But he, you're right, he could have quit his job. He had choices. He had many choices. Well, then, then it's daddy's fault. Why do you think it's daddy's fault? Well, he should have quit his job. Well, he could have. I don't know if he should have. But he could have. Mm-hmm. Well, why didn't he do that? I don't know, honey. Maybe you can talk to him and ask him. But I'm sure he has a very good reason why it was difficult for him. Well, I just don't understand why you guys have to have a divorce because it makes me very unhappy. It is a very sad situation. You're right. It is. It's very hard. And that's okay. Things are hard and that's okay. Well, you should make it go away. You should make it stop. You should just stay together. Well, we're not going to. We're not staying together. Well, you should. 
Well, I don't know if we should or we could or we would, <laughs> but we're we're not. We're not staying together. But you're going to be okay. We are all going to be okay. And so what I'm saying with this story is that I, in this role playing of child and mother, I, the child, am being allowed to continue to express how I feel. My mother is not telling me lies or trying to make it go away or telling me I shouldn't feel that way. Right? I'm just allowing, allowing her to continue with her story because that's her story. She's allowed to think that it's my fault. She's allowed to think that it might be the father's fault. And she's even allowed to think it may be her fault. All I'm doing is facilitating space for her to continue talking and share that anger and share that frustration and kudos to her bravery for being able to do that and not hold it all in and become a peacekeeper, a victim. We don't want that. Oh, that would make our transition so much easier <laughs> if the if the child wasn't also having a difficult time. And so often I see as well, and just for the record, I, I did have a divorce, but my daughter was 11 months old, so I didn't actually go through that. But I know that she, when she was 11, 12, maybe earlier, she was constantly questioning why we had a divorce even though I was with another man and she called him dad and she loves him to this day to pieces. She still questioned it. She still idealistically, because that's her nature, looked at her friends who had parents that were still together, even though that was by 30%. <laughs> but that's what she focused on. And she wanted to know, well, why, why didn't that work out that way for me? You know, so she had lots of questions right from the age of four and um, there were only a couple of reasons I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a lot of answers for her because I didn't know why he left <laughs> it was a whirlwind of a relationship and I thought everything was great and then it was done but he did find somebody else and uh, that was a part of it but I wasn't going to tell my three-year-old that. I wasn't going to tell my four-year-old that. I just said he wasn't happy anymore, which is literally what he said to me. I'm not happy anymore before I knew that it was somebody else, which is, I'm sure, true. He wasn't happy anymore. And then when she became eight, I, dis I explained to her that happiness is subjective and that nobody can take your happiness away or give you your happiness. And it was important for him to find his happiness and that you, her as the daughter could provide him with, they could enjoy happiness together, not provide, but they could enjoy happiness together. And, but another thing that I noticed with some of my clients is the, the after divorce part. 
right? And I call this the relationship that never ends. <laughs> and that means you're still in conflict with your ex. And you're constantly bickering, fighting, having control issues, power struggles. And it's going to be around the children. What else is it going to be? It's not going to be around the mortgage or the house or you came home late or why don't you clean the house more often because you're not in that kind of environment. All you have between the two of you is the children. And when I see this, the children always, always, always get hurt. No matter how, no matter how hard you could be the best conscious parenting person in the world. And if your ex keeps trying to drag drama and trauma into the relationship, that child is going to witness that. And you can step away and you can back off and you can let that other parent do everything in their power to try to take power away. But the child is still going to experience it. So what do you do? First of all, you don't engage. You almost have to become robotic. And hopefully you no longer have an attachment to a need to please them, to be right, to be correct, to be the good parent, to be defensive, to fight, not to be the victim. Hopefully you don't have, you're not doing all of that because if you are, then you're going to engage. So hopefully you're, you're good with yourself and you're solid and you don't react. And then you now have to teach your child how to feel that pain, how to feel that discomfort, right? You've re it's really hard to navigate. You have to learn how to ask all the right questions. I learned this years ago from a client of mine. She was a nurse and I didn't, we, we got engaged in a conversation and I uh, wasn't happy with a doctor that I had at the time that was treating something of mine and around thyroid. And I said that I didn't get the greatest bedside manner from this particular specialist. And I fortunately at the time had a doctor who had great bedside manner. And he always knew when to pass the buck. You know, he knew I, this is beyond me. I got to send you to somebody who specializes it in it, which I always admired that. But this guy had no bedside manner. In fact, it scared me, it made me more afraid of my situation. So she gave, she asked me a bunch of questions. She asked me about five questions of what was the most important to me. And ultimately was that I wanted him to be good at what he did because it was a complicated situation. And so that settled me because I was like, yeah, it would be bonus if he had bedside manner, but ultimately I just want to be good at what he does. <laughs> right? So... My point is we cannot always get everything we want in one package, but you do have to hone in on what is most important to you. And that's what you, 
you know, I believe that's what you want to instill, what you want to ask your child is knowing what all the right questions are. And that's what I learned from her. But you have to know when to ask those questions. And usually with a child under the age of, I don't know, 16, 17, they, you want them to ask the questions first. And sometimes they ask questions in ways that don't sound like questions. They sound like accusations. They sound like disapproval. They sound like anger. Right? But really, it's a question. So if you're having a disagreement with a parent, for instance, who's saying, I want to have this child every other weekend. And I actually went through this with, with my ex. I want this child more often. And my child was having more time with her friends on weekends, wasn't really enjoying being there as much, didn't quite get along with the girlfriend. Um, and, but she was, she's a caring, nurturing person. So she wanted him to be happy. She didn't want to hurt his feelings, but eventually she broke down from the pressure of having dissatisfaction every other weekend. And she decided she didn't want to go anymore. And often when this happens, it, it didn't happen for too long. We negotiated quite well and he accepted, painfully accepted her choice not to go up, not to go often. But I, and, but I know he blamed me. I know he did, but that, I was cool with that. I didn't, I didn't need to go there. I just, whatever was working for her. And when I work with some clients, particularly one I've been working with recently, the, the control and the, and, and the empathy becomes more powerful than the end result. It becomes more important than the end result. And what I mean by that is em empathy is wonderful and beautiful and caring and nurturing, but there are many places where it isn't necessary to bring that into the equation. And so you may have empathy for your child and what they're going through. And you may want to share that with the ex. Look at what you're putting her through. Look at what you're putting him through. This is becoming such a tragedy for my child. You're hurting my child. And then that gives them a bone of contention and some ammo to say, well, you're hurting our child because you're not letting them, you know, and it becomes a fight between the two of you, right? Take empathy out of it. Take empathy out of it. And you just discuss it between the two of you as adults and depending on the age of the child. But through all this, what is happening to the child? The, every child in, instinctively wants to honor one or both parents. As challenging as it may be <laughs> at times. And so you talk, you ask all the right questions. And I think the first place to start is, how are you feeling? How does this feel? And you can't have emotion behind it. You have to have 
complacency, acceptance. If you have emotion, it's going to show. And if you do, depending on the age of the child, you may want to share that later. Like this, I do not like to see you hurt. Well, you can say he's an an a-hole, he's a jerk, he's so mean, he's such a bully, or she's she's controlling. But at the end of the day, everything comes down to love and fear. And you may fear your child being hurt. But you ask that child, how you doing? Well, I feel really bad because I know my dad really wants to see me and I know it really bothers him. I know it really hurts him. Yeah. But I don't want to go there. That's okay too. But it's going to hurt him. Yeah, it will. But he'll be okay. Will he? Of course he will be. All of us are okay in the end. But I want to, I don't want him to feel bad. So you want to fix it? Yes. Do you think you can fix it? No. I don't think you can either. Do you know who can fix it? Him? Yeah, him. Do you know when he might fix it? No. No, me neither. Do you know who knows? Him? Yeah. He'll know when. When he's ready to fix himself, he'll know when. What you need to do is what's good for you. What works for you. What makes you feel good right now. Because that makes you the best version of you. And he'll figure out how to be the best version of him one day. So, change, transition, pain, discomfort, it is an important part. It's an important part of the journey from where you were to where you will be, a very, very important part. I always like to use metaphors, so I'm going to use a metaphor here. When you are moving from one house to another, and not all of us transition from one house to another in this way. I may be one of them. I think I start off with good intentions. (laughs) But the ultimate intention is to have every box pre-arranged before you move obviously not to do it the day of have everything organized all the boxes marked don't let them be too heavy make them basically the same size and easy to handle easy to move so that when you're trans when you're when you're when it's in transit you know you want to make sure that they're packed so that they don't break or get warped or banged up. 
So when it goes into transition, it's easy for everyone who's supporting you and helping you in that move. It makes it very easy for them. And if it's marked bedroom and bathroom and kitchen, they know exactly where to put it. It makes the job so easy. And if it's done before they get there, yeah, hello, please pack your boxes before you ask people to come and help you. And then when you get there, the, the work that you did in that transition, okay, that's all the transition of moving. All that work, even though it would take a little bit longer, will make your job so much easier when you have to unpack it all. I hope this serves you well. I'm always there for you. Just find me at Ask Holly Hall. AskHollyHall.com Ask Holly Hall on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Namaste.